Good morning. A guy named Ralph once said, death comes to all, but great achievements build a monument which shall endure until the sun grows cold. He's talking about leaving a legacy. Are legacies important? Have you thought about your legacy? Have you thought about what you want to be remembered by and then how you're going to go about ensuring that you are actually remembered by those things that you want to be remembered by. I can remember one of the pivotal moments in my life was, it came as I was sitting in probably the fifth pew back of a small church in northern Glendora, and I was listening to the pastor preach, and he asked this question. He said, when you are lying there, on your deathbed, what are you going to look back on as having really mattered in life? And this wasn't one of those moments where, you know, the light turns on. This was more like deer in the headlights. It was more like jaw-dropping, pupil-dilating, neuron-firing, slam in the face with the reality that everything that I had been pursuing in life was not the direction that I should be going. The legacy that, that I was leaving behind was one where people, they, they, they'd say, yeah, uh, that guy, he, he had it all. That guy, well, you know, he's a really smart guy, or he lived the American dream. And it was that moment when that pastor asked that question that all of a sudden I was faced with all these different phrases that came to mind, like, You've only got one shot in life. Is this really what you want to spend it on? Or or how self-centered can you be? I remember thinking, stop lying to yourself. You know there's more to life than this. And I remember thinking, if I continue down this path, people are going to be asking Was he really trying to help other people like he said he wanted to do? Or was he really just helping himself? We all leave legacies, don't we? Did you know that God cares about his legacy? He cares about what he's going to be remembered by. And this morning, we're going to see how God's legacy and our own legacies are inextricably linked through the work of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see how what he has done for us, what he's made us to be, well, that says something about who he is. And then our response to what he has done for us, well, that leads us to leave the greatest legacy that a human being can leave. We're going to open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning. And this morning we're going to focus on just verses 7 through 10 in chapter 2, but I'd like to read verses 1 through 10 just so that we remind ourselves of the context that we're looking at this morning. So if you would stand with me as we read from God's Word, again, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, And we'll read verses 1 through 10. 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Last week we talked about this incredible, unexpected, miraculous twist in the human story. People were spiritually dead. They were cut off from all of the goodness that is found in the one that created them. They were not only cut off from that, they were not only dead, they were enslaved to all these influences, influences from the outside and from within. And then they rightly stood condemned for their rebellion against their Creator. And yet in the midst of all of that, in the midst of that terrible, hopeless situation, Paul says, but God, he made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us in the heavenly places, in a place of honor, all because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And why did he do it? He did it because of the richness of his mercy. He did it because of his great love. He did it because of the grace that is within him. He did it because of his kindness towards us. These are the things that drove him to do what he did. They compelled him to sacrifice his only son so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. That kind of love is is astounding, isn't it? As we noted last week, we, we marvel when we come face to face with that level of self-sacrifice, someone who just gives themselves freely so that someone else might live, like that that 22-year-old who couldn't swim and threw himself into the river to save that five-year-old boy at the cost of his own life. Or firefighters who charge into burning buildings and they're facing incredible heat, that deadly black smoke. Or in the case of Captain Dave Rosa... They face gunfire sometimes. Acts of self-sacrifice, they leave us breathless, don't they? And yet no self-sacrifice has ever been greater than the sacrifice that was made when Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. Paul tells us in Romans 5, 6, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love, it's, it's just it's, it's, it's extraordinary. It's truly astounding. I could pretend that I am not lonely, but I'll be constantly fooling myself. I can pretend that it don't matter, but I'll be sitting here lying to myself. Some say love ain't worth the buck, but I'll give every dime I have left to have what I've only been dreaming about. Everybody wants something. God wants something. Yeah, we all want love. That's what Rihanna tells us. <laughs> love is a wonderful thing, and the world is craving it. It's nice to feel loved, isn't it? Sometimes it gives us that warm, fuzzy feeling. Remember the first time you felt that? It makes us feel significant. It makes us feel valued. It makes us feel special. But the thing we need to remember about God's love is that it says so much more about who He is than about who we are. Like we've pointed out, Time and time again over the past several weeks, God's love, it's totally undeserved. He didn't love because we were lovable. He loved because He is love. He's the embodiment of love. He's the epitome of love. And the really extremely important thing for us to get out of Ephesians 2, 7 here is that 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 the action that resulted from God's love, Him sending Christ to die for our sin, that actually has a purpose behind it. Do you know there's an ultimate purpose behind God showing His love through Jesus Christ for us? And it's not just that we might be brought from death to life. There's something else here. The ultimate purpose in God showing His love was that He might put on an everlasting display of the immeasurable riches of His grace. Look at verse 4 again. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places. Then he says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He did it all so that he could show every living thing how far-reaching and overwhelmingly abundant his goodness is. As he puts on display his measureless goodness, he points everyone to his glory. How beautiful and how radiant and how majestic and how holy he is. He wants to make himself known. And that's why he chose people before the foundation of the world. It's why he adopted them. It's why he redeemed them. It's why he made known to them the mystery of his will. It's why he sealed them with the promise of his Holy Spirit. It was all to the praise of his glorious grace. That's what verse 6 tells us in Ephesians 1. He saved us to give us a a tangible, 
undeniable, blow-your-mind kind of evidence of his goodness. I love the story one pastor tells of a, uh, the principal of his school when the principal retired. When Reverend Paul Gibson retired, they, they unveiled this painting of him so that he could be remembered for all time. Students walk past that painting, and that guy, that, that was the principal. The, the reverend, in an, in an effort to, to really compliment the artist, he said, you know, this is, a, this is a great painting. But I think years from now, people who walk by and they see this painting, they're not going to be asking, who was that guy? as much as they're going to be asking, who painted that painting? John Stott writes, Now in our case, God has displayed more than skill. A patient after a major operation is a living testimony to his surgeon's skill. And a condemned man after a reprieve to his sovereign's mercy. We are both exhibits of God's skill, trophies, of His grace. God's ultimate purpose here in saving us was to create a living legacy. And according to Ephesians 2.7, it was to put on this everlasting display of the immeasurable riches of His grace. And then in verses 8-10, through He directs our attention to two key pieces of that legacy. And that's what we're going to use the rest of our time to explore. So how does God put on this everlasting display of the immeasurable riches of His grace? Well, first of all, He saves by the gift of, of His grace alone. The gift comes from His grace alone, according to verse 8. For by grace you've been saved, through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. What great news this would have been to those Ephesians those Ephesians that were working so hard to get the approval of, of, of Artemis, their god, or, or to, to ward off the evil spirits. They could, they could toss aside their amulets. They could put away those chants. They could stop bothering with all those sacrificial offerings, and they could burn their magic books. We, we read in Acts that they actually do that. There's nothing that they could do to earn this salvation. I mean, how could they? They were dead. They were spiritually cut off from their Creator because of their rebellion. And they were walking around according to the course of this world, influenced by the devil, influenced by their own heart desires. Paul says, this is not your own doing. And then he reiterates, not a result of works. He wants to be very, very clear here. People may like to think that our right actions cancel out our wrong actions. But that's not the way it works. Some people think that the the punishment for murderers well, that can be removed as long as they've demonstrated that they've changed their lives or they've done enough good things to cover up for the wrong that has been done. People fought for the life of Stanley Tukey Williams. He was born in December 1953 in New Orleans. And at a very young age, he, his family moved to Los Angeles, and very quickly he got involved in life on the streets 
he was he and a friend uh, were the founders of a street gang known as the Crips. In 1981, Williams was tried and convicted in Los Angeles Superior Court for four murders plus two counts of robbery and was sentenced to death. And during his time in prison, Williams worked hard to try to eliminate the battling that continually was happening between the Crips and the Bloods. And even wrote several books trying to help young people not get involved in this kind of lifestyle and not, not be involved in violence. In 2002, a member of Swiss Parliament nominated Williams for the Nobel Peace Prize. President George W. Bush wrote a letter to Williams commending him for his work. And when the time drew near for his execution to actually take place, the NAACP, they, they held protests to try to stop this. They demanded the release of Tukey Williams because he's, look at all the wonderful things he's done with his life. Yes, he did all those bad things, but he's done so much good. December 13, 2005, Stanley Tukey Williams was executed by lethal injection at San Quentin Prison. Sometimes our legal system lets things slide. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes people do a bunch of good things and, and people will say, yeah, that covers up all those multitude of sins that they've committed. But you know, it doesn't work that way with God. In God's economy, it can't work that way. People try to live better lives than other people. They try cleaning themselves up. They try to do spiritual things. We try to go to church. We try to read our Bibles. We try to do all sorts of different things. Try to do good deeds. Helping those people across the street. Giving to charity. But none of it works. Because none of it is good enough. The Bible makes it clear that our good works, they're not sufficient to save us. Titus 3 when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And our passage this morning says it's the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. Well, why is this such a big deal? For one, it's a big deal because those good works, they just, they just aren't good enough. Our, our righteous deeds, Isaiah tells us, they're like a polluted garment. It's like the best that we have to offer that we could put before God and say, look God, look what I've done. It's like a polluted garment. It's like something you would want to just throw away or throw in the, the, in the fire. Let's get rid of it. What a tragic thing it would be at the end of your days if you stood before the judgment seat of God and you lay down every good thing that you have done. Look at this. Look at my resume here. It just stretches on and on and on. Look at all the wonderful things. Look at, all the, look at this number here, the amount of money that I have donated, the amount of people that I have helped, the amount of times I bit my tongue when I wanted to say something bad about somebody, but I didn't. What about all those times? What if you laid all that stuff out and then heard the tragic words, it's not enough. It's not going to help. 
Good works won't get you into heaven any more than petting a dog is going to get you into Disneyland. It just doesn't work. That's why it's a big deal. Secondly, and perhaps even more important is this, it's important to know that anything we try to do to earn our salvation, that's actually an attempt to take away from God's legacy of showing His immeasurable grace. God wants it to be known. It is by grace alone. This is nothing of your own doing. It is all me, God says. And how dare we try to take away from that. Notice Paul says, so that no one may boast. There are a lot of people out there who are trying to earn their way to heaven. They're doing all sorts of different things. They're praying enough prayers. They're reciting chants. They're following rules giving to charity, trying desperately to stay in line with society's current view of morality, and they're robbing God of the credit that belongs only to Him. The salvation of human beings from their doom, that's God's game. He's the only one capable of pulling it off. He's the only one powerful enough to bring people from death to life. And he's the only one who's going to get glory from it in the end. You know, artists will go to great lengths to try to make sure that no one else copies their work, no one else steals the credit for their work. And God's work is such that people try to no avail. And in the end, we hear every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the end, God will get the glory. Now someone might say, well, by grace through faith, isn't faith actually doing something? Isn't faith a work in and of itself? And it's true. Paul does say it. It's right there. By grace you have been saved through faith. Now grace is something that God gives. That's all Him. But faith is something we participate in, right? But the reality is to think that faith is, a, is some type of a work, something that we can take uh, credit for and, and point to and say, see, well, I had enough faith. You see, that's why, I, you know. To think that is actually to misunderstand what faith actually is, at least what the Bible is referring to when it talks about faith. You see, faith isn't mustering up enough belief by some type of human effort saying, oh, I'm just going to believe a little harder. Faith isn't that. And neither is faith uh, believing in something that you don't have any real evidence for. Some people these days will say, you, you just believe. We, we were walking around a, a walking path um, down in Mission Viejo. They have this walking path where some, some artists have created these little fairy houses at the bottom of the tree stumps, and there's little doors, and Quincy and I and, and Melissa, we love to look, find these little fairy houses, and one of them just said, a little rock there, believe. And I'm thinking, believe in what? What are you talking about? What's, what are we believing in? Are we believing in unicorns? Are we believing in dragons? Are we believing in the Easter Bunny? Are we believing in fairies? I don't have any evidence to believe in those things. Well, except for little fairy houses. The doors don't actually open there, so I'm, I'm kind of suspicious. Why should I believe 
Why should I, what am I believing in? You know, I think that people say just believe, and when they say that, I think what they're really saying is just keep trying, just keep going, never give up. I think what they're saying is give it your all. Keep, you know, give, it, give it effort. Don't just, don't just lay down and die. No, no, believe. And in that case, well, I think it is work. That kind of faith, if it's something that I have to just like uh, grunt and, and, and lift myself up to keep moving, then yeah, I think that is a type of work. But that's not the kind of faith the Bible's talking about. Paul tells us what saving faith looks like in Romans 10. In verse 9, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It has nothing to do with mythical creatures. It has nothing to do with uh, believing uh, enough to, 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 to just pull yourself up out of the muck and mire. It's not about trying harder. It has everything to do with how your heart responds to the good news of Jesus Christ. See, it, it, it's an acknowledgement that what you have heard is true. And, it, and it's a reliance on that truth, to trust that truth, to accomplish what it says it will accomplish. What is the good news about Jesus Christ that we need to acknowledge is true? Well, it's that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Very simply, God in human flesh, sinless, perfectly righteous. We need to believe that we're sinful. We need to believe that we're in a bad situation. But we also need to believe that Jesus paid it all by his death on the cross. And that he rose from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was, and actually was able to accomplish what he said he came to accomplish. Christ did everything. We do nothing. And faith is simply an, an acknowledgement and a reliance on that. You know, I didn't do anything to move LeBron James from the Cleveland Cavaliers to the L.A. Lakers. I did nothing. I had no hand in that. He did it, and whoever, you know, the handlers or whoever else making the deal, offering the, the absurd amount of money they were giving him to move to the Lakers. If I have faith in the news about LeBron James, well, I acknowledge that's reality. He's going to the Lakers, okay? I, I, have, I have faith in that news. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually... Look, at, look to Laker games to see LeBron if I want to see him. To not have faith in that news would be for me to keep buying tickets to Cavalier games hoping to see King James make some shots. I don't get any credit for this. I can't brag about this. I didn't have any hand in making it happen. It was all him. In the same way, our salvation is all God. It's entirely a gift of His immeasurable grace. That legacy will be His for ages and ages to come. We simply just receive it. We just acknowledge, okay, yeah, that's, what, that's who I am. That's who you are. This is what Christ did. Wonderful. So I don't have to put these amulets around my neck and start you know, doing mystical chants. Or I don't have to run around trying to be a good enough person, trying to make sure that on the, the cosmic scales, my good deeds somehow outweigh my bad deeds. 
That's, that's not the way it works. We just trust, and that's it. We acknowledge what it is. This is God's legacy. Grace alone. That's how he saves. And that points to the measurable riches of his grace. One other thing. He also puts on display the immeasurable riches of his grace as he masterfully recreates a people to walk in a way that reflects his glory. Look at verse 7 again. And I outlined this a little bit so we could see something here. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For... By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And he says, for again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. How does he put these, these riches on display? We well, saves by the gift of his grace alone, and then he masterfully recreates this people. These people who are now inextricably linked to Jesus Christ, he recreates them for good works. We're his workmanship. God, in his great grace, he not only saves us from something, he saves us to something. He doesn't just bring spiritually dead people back to life. He makes them new creations. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in Ephesians 2.10, Paul uses this word, poema. Now, there are places in the Bible where poema is used just to refer to creation, something that has been created. But there are other places in the Bible where this word is, is used to indicate a, a, a level of, of craftsmanship. The, the New Living Translation, which many would argue is more of a paraphrase, and I, I would agree, but it, I think it captures this well, and it translates this word masterpiece. Masterpiece to emphasize that God has meticulously designed these people that He has saved so that they might perfectly fulfill their intended purpose. In their trespasses and sins, they were once walking, right? According to verse 1, they were incapable of pleasing God. They were doing the exact opposite, actually. They were walking in their sin. Oh, but look in verse 10. It was God's intention all along. He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are we walking in now? We're walking in good works. Do you see the transformation? Do you see the contrast between who we were and who we are to be to what we were doing and what we are to do? Notice it's bookended here. I don't think that's by, uh, by chance, by accident. And God intentionally puts on display the immeasurable riches of His grace by saving people through grace alone and then by masterfully recreating them to be a people that walk in a way that reflects Himself, His glory. Good works couldn't save them, but they've been saved so that they might walk now 
in good works, to, to produce good works. And this isn't about following the letter of some written code. This is more about what God is bringing about inside of them, producing in the ones he's saved. We see in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. God has redesigned these people so that this stuff starts bubbling up within them and starts pouring out of them. It's amazing. And these things serve as evidence that God has done a transformative work inside of them. He's brought them from death to life. He's taken away their heart of stone and He's given them a heart of flesh. He's put His Spirit within them and is now changing the way that they look at the world and the way that they interact with others, and even the way they see themselves. These are transformed people living transformed lives. And as they're doing that, they are on display. You and I, if you have placed your trust in Christ, your life is a display of God's glory. Yeah, there are times we fail, times we mess up, times we really, really just are, fall flat on our face. And I think God is saying, it was all my grace. See, it was all my grace. Look where they're at, right? Yeah, I, I saved them even in spite of this. And then the times we're, we're, we're loving each other, when we're insulted and we don't return insult back, and he's pointing and he's saying, look, my grace. I'm working in them. Yeah, they're not perfect yet, but I'm working in that person, sanctifying them, purifying them, refining them. People point to God's legacy as they patiently endure suffering with joy and with hope. People point to God's legacy. Christians point to God's legacy as they forgive horrific wrongs that have been committed against them. They, They point to His legacy as they joyfully give, even beyond their means, to others, to bless others. They point to His legacy as they love the unlovable. They point to His legacy as they keep their word and remain faithful to their spouses and their families and their word in the workplace and in, the, in their schools. As they share the good news of Christ with others. Even as they stare death in the face and they hold the hand of a loved one for the very last time and they say, it's okay because I'm going to be with Jesus. They point to the legacy of His immeasurable grace. Jesus said in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. The light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under uh, a, a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and say how, what a, how good you are. You're just such an amazing, wonderful person. Man, I wish I could be like... No. That, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
This is what people who have been saved by the incredible grace of God do. They don't do it out of duty. Okay, well, I guess I've been saved, so I better live a good life here. I better do what God wants me to do. No, it's not that. They do good works. Their their lives begin to change and, and exemplify the good works that Christ created them to do because, because of what God is doing in them. Because God has masterfully created them in Jesus to be that way. He puts on display the immeasurable riches of His grace by saving through grace alone and by creating us, masterfully creating us for good works. Our legacy is important. They are. God cares about what people think of Him what all creation thinks of. And he's gone to the greatest possible means to make that happen. What about your legacy? What about mine? Well, if there's nothing good in me, apart from Christ, there's nothing good in me. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. I'm enslaved, I'm condemned. There's nothing good in me. If it's true that the only real hope that I have and the only good that could possibly come out of me or you is because of Jesus, if I lead anyone to think good things about me apart from the grace of God, I'm robbing him of the credit that he deserves. He was a great dad. She was a loving mother. He was, uh, he lived a full life. He loved others. Her joy knew no bounds. All of these fall short and they misdirect praise from where praise is due if they don't point to the immeasurable grace of God. If you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your legacy and God's legacy, see, they've been linked together. We've been saved by His grace alone. We've been masterfully recreated by the riches of this grace that His grace might be shown. May the way that we have lived our lives leave people with the unmistakable impression that the only reason we are anything, anything that is worth remembering, that's because of the immeasurable grace of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are nothing without you. Pride sets in and we like to think things like that. We love to hear praise. And very often we receive that praise, Lord, and we do so in, a, in an inappropriate way. And we let it puff up our egos and we forget who we are in you and who we were before. Lord, may we be a people. May we be a people who point to you. You are the only good that we have. You are responsible for any good thing that pours out of our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for that reality. And we pray, Lord, that this week as we walk out of this place, that our thoughts, our actions, our words, 
would bring glory and honor to you. And people would see us, see the light that is in us. And not glorify us, but glorify our great Father in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Mm-hmm.